Welcome back to Deep Point, an extra podcast from Emerging Cricket, where we go into more detail on topics we didn't have time to cover on the regular show. I'm your host, Nick Skinner, and this week we've got a bonus interview with Dr. Liz Hanna on how climate change will impact cricket, with an emphasis on her area of expertise, public health. Last month, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released its most recent report on the state of the Earth's climate and human impact on that, and the findings were you know, not very encouraging, and it's a serious topic that's going to affect, obviously, all of you know, human habitation on the Earth, but uh, we are a cricket podcast, so to look at the way it might affect the sport specifically, we're joined by Dr. Liz Hanna, Honorary Senior Fellow with Climate Change Institute at the Australian National University, as well as co-chair at the Environmental Health Working Group in the World Federation of Public Health. Dr. Liz Hanna, welcome to the show. Greetings. Thank you. Good to be here. Now, the recent IPCC report, as I said, um, very grim reading, published last month. Can you just give us a bit of a sort of uh, overview in layman's terms of the findings? Um, Yeah, and grim is um, an understatement, if anything. It's really, really salient reading, um, but it's not unexpected. We've been uh, we've been pre-warned about this with the you know with increasing urgency that unless we When I say we, I'm talking we collectively, you know, everyone on the planet. Humanity, yes. Yeah, really start listening to the science, recognising how serious this is and pulling back on climate change, then it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And people often seem to think that it's, you know, the really vulnerable countries and the really vulnerable people, and it's it's affecting everybody, the entire planet. And so as we're seeing with the absolute climate mayhem that's been happening with the increasing intensities in those um, hurricanes in America and the floods and heat waves and flood fires mm-hmm. in Siberia and, you know, fires that cannot be put out, nearly 50 degrees in Canada, you know, I mean, that's, you know, it's outrageous. So what we're seeing is absolutely dramatic and way outside the norm. And we can't for a moment think that this is the worst of, this is the worst that can happen. So we need to really get serious in terms of, okay, well, we like the way we live our lives. We want to continue it as much as possible. So how are we going to keep doing the things we really love, which for your lot is playing cricket as well as everything else? Yeah. And what can we do to maximise the fun and, and minimise the harm as we're, as we're going forward? And this, I'm going to exclude all the usual stuff about mitigation in terms of stop the greenhouse gas emissions. That's a given. So I think I'll be focusing mostly on the game of cricket, what the impacts are and what quick cricket players and their you know, lovers of cricket and the cricket sort of associations ought to be thinking about in terms of maximising the joy moving forward as more bizarre weather happens. Well, yeah, just on cricket, it is a sport, perhaps more so than any other, that is uh, reliant on conducive weather conditions. And as the weather becomes um, more difficult to play in, where do you see it going in terms of uh, extreme weather events? So looking at cricket playing countries, we've got uh, the Caribbean and more hurricanes potentially and Australia, India, South Africa. These are all uh, very hot countries already. Um, And so hotter weather is possibly going to make it more dangerous to play and even England with you know they're notorious for raining a lot already but if, if you're going to have more rain, rain delays that's something that we also need to keep into account yes 
Yes, and it's the total. I mean, there are two two factors as far as weather is concerned to to consider with advancing climate change. So it's the general warming, the increasing heat extremes, and all the other things that happen. And as far as cricket's concerned, a good deal of that, of course, is the variable rainfall and the impact that'll have. Other things, you know, unless your you know cricket fields are on the coast and you've got inundation with sea level rise. In many cases, possibly not a not a major problem, but particularly the, the heat and rain, I'd argue, would be the um, the main issues. And so with the variable rain, what's happening, of course, is more heavy rain events and more drought drying events. So if you think of that, if you think in terms of the pitch, then soggy boggy pitch is, is in some cases difficult to play on, but also the hard dry pitches because that increases injuries and severities of injuries. Um, so that's another really significant thing that the cricket organisers need to think about in terms of uh, the conditions of the pitch and injuries with um, with that because with its drought it's also going to be even more difficult to maintain maintain a turf or you know the grassy bits so that's an issue for consideration um, and the soggy boggy bits I think are um, pretty self-explanatory in terms of uh, just the difficulty in, in maintaining an, uh, a game cricket of course as you know is not well I mean there is such a thing called indoor cricket but cricket cricket is essentially an outdoor game it's essentially a summer game largely and often apart from kids in the back street is often um, afternoons and of course the hottest part of the day is often around about 3 p.m which is peak cricket time really and so in terms of trying to avoid heat considerations will need to be given in terms of whether it's a capacity to keep playing at that time or what strategies need to be brought in place in terms of is it really the wisest thing to keep doing and that's playing cricket in the heat of summer is the hottest part of the day. It's tradition. It's a traditional sort of game and any change, of course, will meet with resistance. But the organisers have got to realise that they've got a duty of care, you know, not to be responsible for, you know, injuries because people die. People absolutely die. Children die. And that's, um, you know, that's a horrible thing. So you would also probably end up with insurance claims, you know, and, and what insurance people would need to consider in terms of encouraging people to play in what could be argued um, will occasionally be life-threatening conditions. Now, you've mentioned that cricket is played in, in hot countries. Absolutely right. It's, um, you know, years ago I was travelling through um, India and Pakistan and it's, you know, it's in every street. The kids are out there. It's it's certainly a game that's absolutely loved. And, of course, the heat and humidity in these places is uh, is horrific. So people, sometimes people think that you can acclimatise and acclimatisation is really important. And acclimatisation is, it's a physiological thing that happens and that happens it's, um, so it's changes where people's body becomes more tolerant of warmer weather. Um, as winter moves to summer, you tend to acclimatise because it it's a gradual change. And there are physiological things in terms of how, much, how quickly you start sweating, the composition of your sweat and whether you're going to lose all the important minerals and electrolytes and your capacity to maintain a, a normal core temperature. Sweating is particularly important on account of when it's hot, you increase sweat. You can lose all your salts and minerals, which is why it's really important to A, replace the fluid and B, replace the salts and minerals that you're sweating out. If you're well acclimatized, then it's more dilute. So the body's conserving those important things, that salts and minerals, which can, I mean, they, if, if they get out of whack, 
They're important in terms of maintaining your electrical conductivity, which is your heart rhythm, and also with uh, with dehydration. Um, if you're sweating, 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 and you end up being dehydrated, your cognition, as in you know, the, your mental capacity diminishes even when you're only two percent dehydrated. So this is why we cannot stress enough the importance of rehydrating in the heat and making sure that you've got the correct balance. Not you can't. It's no good having those um, energy drinks which are full of sugar or every fluid intake to be the high volume, you know, the high concentrations of the salts. And so it, it needs to be really well managed. Um, and there are organisations that can provide the balance of what's required in terms of the proportion that's straight water and the proportion that's hydrolyte or that replaces those those minerals. Um, because if they get out of whack, that increases the risk of somebody actually dying. Um, and, and again, I'll, I'll probably mention this a bit in that heat is life-threatening, literally life-threatening. So you're a little bit protected if you're acclimatised better, if you're well hydrated, but there's an upper limit. Yes, so it's it's potentially lethal. Other things that can protect people in being able to tolerate the heat, apart from drinking and being familiar with the heat, which is acclimatised, because when it's familiar, it's your physiological familiarity and what your body will do, is cardiorespiratory fitness. And the good thing, of course, about um, you know cricket and cricket players and if people who are a bit sporty, then they're more inclined than the rest of the population to have cardiorespiratory fitness. But um, what diminishes it, our, we call it thermotolerance, which is uh, tolerance to heat. What diminishes it will be advancing age, obesity, poor cardiorespiratory fitness. You know, you get hot and puffed and sweaty really quickly because the load, the stress that heat puts on the body is in many respects, um, the organ that's working most hard to accommodate this is your heart. And so if your heart's a bit weak, um, then it's much more inclined to, to peter out. So as far as the population's concerned, we need to stay not overweight and to keep as fit as possible. And as far as cricketers are concerned and anyone that's out there, to make sure that they're hydrated. Um, other things that are protective, of course, are well, keeping out of the heat. Well, hmm, this is where cricket needs to really think about it as to how you would minimise the exposure for people in the game. So whether you increase rest breaks, it's hard to play in the shade because you can't have trees on a cricket pitch. <laughs> it's, it's a bit tricky. And so altering the time of start, altering the time of finish, extending the game so you've got longer breaks and people can cool. Another thing, of course, is on that cooling options is, is rest, ice, um, and cool drinks. Consider the clothing and what clothing. There's all manner of, there's a whole new suite of clothing manufacturers that are producing things. You see it a lot in the tradies and such where the fabrics breathe. They have long sleeves to keep the sun off, but they have mesh on the inside of the arms and down the sides that actually facilitate movement of air, but they're still fabric and sun protective on the outside. So considering the outfits that people wear, those things are, um, are possible. So that's cooling option. Certainly have policies that would, and informing the players and policies so that if somebody was saying, oh, no, look, I'm feeling a bit woozy, they can't be penalised for for coming off because if there's pressure for people to keep going because I'm letting the team down mm. or we'll, you know, I'll be a wicket, then that 
without allowing people to recognise that, no, I'm too hot, I can't keep going. If they're going to be penalised, they will keep pushing themselves. And that's when you're much more inclined to have somebody having a um, um, going into heat stress, which can be lethal. And so that gets into the whole education campaign. Uh, one of the main things, of course, is for people to recognise in themselves how they're feeling and to recognise amongst their buddies. Because I said earlier that if you're hot and you're dehydrated, you're not thinking as straight. So that's another thing that people are inclined to say, no, I'm fine, I'll keep going. And, uh, you know, their their workmates and, um, you know, friends and colleagues can see, oh, gee, if, you know, they're being a bit erratic or, you know, I mean, people can even get the staggers. Clearly, you're not going to play cricket well if you've got the staggers. But so you need people to be on the lookout for symptoms so that they can pull you aside and saying, no, no, you're not going on. This is this is too much. You need to take a rest. And I'd argue that all this stuff should be started to incorporate for children, particularly, as we've said, that cricket's mm. played in um, in all manner of hot countries. But sometimes it's the children who can actually spot heat stress in, in adults um, and they need to be able to spot it amongst themselves if it's just a bunch of buddies playing out there in the street. And if they're switched on, they can recognise that somebody's not doing well, they need to take a break, get out of the heat and uh, take some shade and, and drink. And the other thing, of course, is recognising when the symptoms are very serious and that's when you need to call medical help and an ambulance and take someone to hospital. And that's, in simple terms, I'd basically say that that is when they've cooled down, you know, you've taken them off, they've stopped exercising, they're in the shade, you've offered drinks, and they're still not well, they're not bouncing back quickly. And so you can have cold and clammy skin, that's bad. Um, because you're going into shutdown, and which is a cardiac, you know, the, the whole perfusion system is um, is shutting down, and that's a that's a serious sign. So you'd need to see, you know, get that person into into hospital where they can have IV fluids and be monitored and managed. Um, but under normal circumstances, if you're just a little bit hot, just taking rest, stop generating heat and uh, loosen clothes, put ice around, you know, the groin and armpits and around the neck and on the you know, front of the chest and uh, fluids and let them rest and they should be able to come back again. Um, that's seriously important stuff. Well, your, your area of expertise is in the health side of things, as, as we're hearing, and that's your biggest area of concern. I'm just thinking, you, know, you mentioned the cognition effects of dehydration it made me think of the way that concussion in sports is it's only sort of just starting to be understood as, as a serious problem and um, something that you know governing bodies and clubs need to address do you think dehydration and, and heat damage is kind of the next frontier of that in that we're going to be finding out you know oh actually people who are playing in the sun they're having long-term damage in the same way and and we're going to have to try and figure out ways to mitigate that Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, particularly as as it's the world is getting warmer. The it, it, like it's not a sort of binary situation where you know you're okay and you're not. It's all it's a sort of like a, a slippery slope in terms of and and we with heat exposure we we talk in terms of cascading effects that get more serious and more serious and more serious rather than a specific yes no you know cutoff point. And so I think I'd say that pretty much every one of us has at some stage got a little bit too hot. But we've recovered, we've been okay. You can have cumulative impacts and the more severe that each overheating episode is and the longer it lasts, then the more damage you have is the simple rule. And that's sort of pretty obvious and you'd sort of guess that would happen anyway. 
Um, what we find during those extreme heat events where you've got people suffering is that with severe heat stress and severe heat illness, even after they've recovered, they've got some some level of organ damage. Now that can include the brain, but it also can include the heart, the kidneys, and uh, and pretty much all your organs. So hence the fact we try to recognise early and stop early because it's such a preventable thing in terms of, and particularly with cricket, well, you know, you don't have to be there. And so hence the fact that the priority is is maintaining people's, you know, health and well-being. It's not like, it's quite different to concussion, which people get a lot of knocks in the head and they sort of keep playing and another knock in the head and another knock in the head and another knock in the head, like some of those sports that, you know, really increasingly damaging to brains. Heat is, it's possibly less... Uh, less than that because our bodies are going to tell us to stop working as compared to if people have a knock in the head they can keep going without detecting that that's accumulative um, damage so so I do think in short I do think it's going to be one of the next one of the next frontiers that we need to look at one of the other things that's probably worth considering is for organizations to think about thresholds as to when you cancel or postpone a game. Mm. And that's something that's going to have to start be considered at, I'd argue, at all levels. And one of the things I found with my sort of my research, which was primarily on working in the heat, is that again it gets back to acclimatization and what people are used to. Um, as you can imagine, if you're thinking of Australia, what Tasmania thinks is a hot day, well, the, the Queenslanders just scoff and laugh and say, well, we just call that summer. <laughs> and I was out at Broken Hill and they basically said that, you know, if you're going to stop us working every time it's 35, well, no one would work all summer long, you know, because it's virtually over 35 every day of the year. And so the first thing to say in response to that is that it those thresholds for whether you cancel, postpone, or you pull in some other modifying effect to a game it has to be a bit like a traffic light system it has to be graded but it also has to be relevant to where you are to where you're playing and what you're used to and the important thing i'd say is to also factor in humidity there's a wonderful thing that measures that factors both and that's called the wet bulb globe temperature the wbgt and they that combines the two into a single value and there are charts that are readily available that could indicate when it's okay to do something that's not physically intensive. And as it gets hotter, then you should limit a little bit. And once it gets over this, then just pull out, cancel entirely. So for, you know, the cricket organisation, you know, per state or per region, to think about thinking about those things and factoring in as to at what point they'd think about postponing a match or putting in some modifying that, okay, we're going to double the rest times and, you know, we'll just be on guard. If it gets too bad, then we might have to go to plan B, those sort of things, because that's a really important thing. And also in terms of getting back to the fact of duty of care that cricket organisers need have um, upon their players. Well, I mean, I, I remember even when I was playing, you know, Z grade club cricket, um, we on hot days would have twice as many drinks breaks and that kind of thing. So it's obviously more extensive because climate change is the sort of thing that it's, it's sort of pulling at the, the fabric of all of our existence, really, and it just affects everything. But, you know, looking at the sort of mechanics of it, I'm just thinking, you know, the one of the you know, dismissive arguments is, oh, we've always had hot weather, you know, we, we've always played in hot weather. It's nothing new. Why would a couple of degrees make a difference? So what do you say to that argument? Um, okay, yes, it's, I've certainly heard that. And particularly in um, that argument is more pronounced in blokey areas and blokey 
um, employment places. In, in <laughs> um, and so the idea is, you know, don't be a girl, don't be a wuss, you know, soldier on, you know, be tough. The interesting thing, and again, is that the older guys who a bit, little bit more sensible, they've seen a bit more, they've experienced a bit more, and they're a little bit more cautious rather than, you know, I'm young, I'm fit, I'm bulletproof. They're much, much more guarded. And so, again, it would be listening to the advice of the elders who will pretty much uniformly admit that it's not worth, it's not worth pushing. Um, in re- specific response to the it's always been hot and why would a few more degrees uh, make any difference? What happens as, because Australia has warmed pretty much on average 1.1 degrees, but our heat waves have increased 12-fold and they're hotter. So it's not every day in summer that you're not going to be able to play. It's during those heat waves. And therein lies the problem. And of course, it's the heat waves that will kill the turf, kill the trees, kill the grass. It's the heat waves that will take us out as well. And that's where the problem lies. It's the extremes that are problematic and need to be taken seriously. So if you've got increasingly hot summers, and yeah, you've got a lot of hot days in summer, that's okay. You know, you just be sensible. But what does a cricket organisation or a group of cricketers do once you find that you happen to cancel games and you're running up against the end of the season? So do you extend the season do you allow for more cancelled matches and i'd argue that would be the sensible way to go because the alternative is pushing people to play when it's potentially lethal and if these if these you know if you think at the high level folk if they damage their bodies that's their that's their income earning not only is it their body that they need to you know move around for the rest of their lives and you know pick up and play sport with their kids but it's the tools of their trade and so in harming that you're absolutely damaging somebody's capacity to to continue on in their in their career and so you just you just don't push it is the sensible thing to do the oh and back to that thing i omitted to mention earlier in terms of people being sensible is a really quick and easy way to do a self-test is having a look at the color of your urine really simple a, people should be uh, passing a lot of urine. And if you're not, then you're dehydrated and you need to drink more. And if it's dark in colour, then that's bad. And you need to just keep drinking, keep drinking, keep drinking. And it doesn't really matter how much you drink. If it's dark, keep drinking. <laughs> that's that's the that's the simple thing. And you, you, know, you don't need fancy equipment for that. Um, and it's very easy to do a self-test. Um, oh, just the other thing is that it's the players, but it's also the umpires and the spectators um, need considering in that. The... Exercise intensity is another thing in terms of capacity for for people because it's not going to be the same for everybody on the field. Someone standing around fielding and not doing much a lot of the time other than trying to pay attention (laughs) is vastly different from someone who's batting um, and who's bowling at the time or indeed in those those positions that are up close to the batter. batter uh, Yeah, so your risk of heat exposure is also dependent on your level of physical exercise on account of we generate, a lot of people don't know that when we're moving, 80% of the energy that we generate when moving is heat and only 20% is ergonomic force, you know, like climbing the hill or the whack you put into a ball. And so when you're exercising, you're making a lot of heat. So you have to get rid of all that as well. And that's why it becomes problematic to be really intensely physically active on a hot day because that's when you build up your core. And that's the other reason why our bodies, which are very, very clever, will tell us to just sit down. You know, if you're, and it's a, it's a self-preservation mode, is that if you're too hot, your body wants you to stop moving. 
and of course, if you if you refuse to listen, it'll force you, and you'll go unconscious, and it'll force you to stop moving. <laughs> so the idea is to be sensible and not wait for it to hit you on the head, literally. Yeah, so you sort of briefly touched on the idea of cricket organisations or clubs needing to come up with policies and procedures to mitigate the effects for their players. I'm thinking a bit more broadly in terms of the actual impacts of climate change more generally in more extreme weather. Um, what are some of the things that cricket could and should be doing? You know, we've, we've seen the cool down campaign from a number of leading athletes calling for the government to take stronger action on climate change. Uh, so that's on the sort of prevention side of things, I guess. Obviously, international sport, that's a lot of greenhouse gases in terms of traveling around the world. Drought-resistant grass, is that something? We, like, there's a lot of uh, kind of elements of this, but where do you see cricket going and, I guess, sport a bit more generally in terms of trying to adapt and prevent uh, the worst effects of climate change? Um, compared to many sports, cricket is not much... It's, I mean, it's not much of a wicked thing in terms of greenhouse gas emitting, you know, because essentially it's a bunch of people out there in an open space, entertaining themselves for a few hours with, you know, minimal gear, you know, a willow or a bat of some sort and a, and a bit of leather and some clothes. And that's, uh, so that's really low intensity in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. You mentioned the travel. Yes, that's, um, and a lot of the climate um, scientists, of course, have given up travel because of the greenhouse gas emissions. You can't do cricket by Zoom, of course. So <laughs> you do need to be there. And again, but uh, in its heart, cricket is, um, you know, it's a, it's a local area, you know, community level. Um, the impact for the international games, then not sure that I really have much to say to that in that depends on how much they are and how many people have to go around international air travel. I'd be very, very reluctant to try to put the mockers on it because A, it's a low carbon intensive sport. And B, the benefits of sport far outweigh the the harms in terms of you know trying to tell people not to not to play sport. Now you know, people have different inclinations and capabilities and aptitudes, and you might be good at cricket and lousy at tennis or the other way around. But so the benefits are enormous. So I'd be inclined to err towards doing what could be done to keep people playing cricket rather than you know put the mockers on it and say that it's bad. There will be pushback, and I know back in the uh, millennium drought, when uh, particularly rural towns around where I was living in northeast Victoria at the time, if they're running out of water, they don't have water that they can put on their, their sporting ogles. And so sport stopped because the grounds became just really so hard and cracked. And so they'll be competing for water will be a major problem. And this is some councils I saw harvest some of the wastewater um, as in runoff, not sewage, but uh, runoff, and use that to water their pitches and playing fields, again, recognising the importance that people are outside, outdoors, and doing physical exercise because the health benefits and the mental health benefits are massive. But as far as climate change is going, there will be ongoing pressure for scarce water supplies. And again, th there can be clever ways of trying to get around that and maximising that, or indeed, you know, for groups to share a good field if you have to um, sacrifice one playing field and keep another one going where as many teams can play then that's uh you know i mean they're the sort of things that you'd consider to keep them um, keep them running well that sort of leads into the, the the idea of what this will all mean for society in terms of human interactions you talked about competing for um, more scarce water resources but looking a bit more generally at, at society in, in the place of sport you think sport is important and that we should 
try and encourage people to keep playing it rather than uh, uh, maybe being sort of uh, you know austere and you know it's not necessary and we need to do everything to to combat climate change so do you see i guess the way society is going to go in in terms of dealing with the challenges of climate change is is sport going to become less important are there you know, it, political difficulties on the horizon in terms of justifying the resources that go into maintaining sport uh, infrastructure. And I guess um, if there's less resources available, we know that creates conflict, uh, potentially migration, um, cricket playing uh, migrants moving around the world. Like what, what are some of the effects that um, on, a, on a broader scale of, of climate change on, on sport and on cricket? The, um, all of the above. Actually, the certainly the resources and in general, not specifically to cricket, but it will impact, is that as there is more and more mayhem, like, for example, if you're thinking of the the repair bill for what we've seen recently is you know, New York and Hurricane Ida all the way through the Louisiana and the, the trail that it, you know, the hazard that it wrecked all the way through and of course the fires and the heat waves etc so countries and regions are having to spend more and more on repairing and what's been apparent for a well over a decade now and that's since the research has come out is that the increase in climate repair bills is exceeding the growth in gdp mm. and so if you transpose that out it's going to get worse and worse and so countries have got other things that they need to do in terms of, you know, provide health and education and transport and all the rest of it. Plus had on all those repair bills is it, we're going to see contraction of flexible money availability. So there'll be increased pressure for uh, maximising the effect of anything that's spent, having dual benefits from anything that consumes, you know, the public purse, providing great rationale. And, you know, particularly a game such as cricket, which, as I said, is a sort of low carbon intensive sport, uh, when you consider that it's, you know, it's pretty egalitarian in terms of you don't need a huge amount to get everyone up and playing. You know, cricket's in a pretty good position in terms of putting forward the argument that it should be salvaged and, and maintained because the, the benefits very much outweigh the, the negatives. And particularly when you consider that it's not asking for a great deal other than um, other than a, a playable pitch. And that's, uh, that's pretty minimal compared to many others. And so the competition for water, as I've said, competition for resources and again whether that's what direction you go down that'll be probably dependent on you know the area and the the client group or the playing group that you're you're aiming for as to whether it's involves fundraising um on a different tack you did mention uh migration and we know full well that climate change is increasingly making areas uninhabitable um and so there will be people on the march uh there's no unhcr you know united nations designated category for a climate refugee but what we do know is that climate is forcing economic refugees because if you can't live somewhere and you everything you've got is gone then you become an economic refugee and you have to go somewhere else if you can people don't really want to move if they do move, they'd rather go somewhere close to home because the culture's the same, they understand the world, the food's the same, the people are 
pretty similar. And it's only when all those options fail do we find that people actually go across borders. And of course, the most attractive place for people to go across borders are countries that might offer them a better better life. And so that'll be the, the richer countries. And, you know, being an English speaking country, there's a whole lot of countries who would find an English speaking country like Australia, a very pro- popular destination. And so the, I mean, the and the world's defence forces, you know, including the US and Australia, you know, more than 10 years ago, were writing reports about the increased national security from climate change, realising that this social upheaval causes conflict and you get conflict and you get all manner of all the bad bit that goes with conflict, but you also get people on the move, which can trigger further conflict. So they're well aware that people will be on the move and, you know, then you get into an area that's probably not really the topic of this discussion as to, you know, what nations need to do in terms of of welcoming. It's impossible for Australia to have a border because people will get in, people will want to get in, but that goes into the whole political moral argument, which is probably not the place here for me to launch on my own personal views. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah. Um, Before we go, just anything you had left to add or to, um, to mention or to bring up? Um, no, no, I mean, just, you know, just recapping on those key things that it's, it's certainly going to impact every aspect of our life, including sport. Sport uh, has inherent risks and a sport that you play in the heat in the sun is going to have increasing um, health risks. However, they need to be factored against the huge benefits of actually playing sport and the social connection that you get and the reason to get up in the morning and pals and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, maintain sport. We do need to maintain sport. And, you know, cricket's sitting quite pretty in terms of the fact it's not a, um, you know, it's not a greenhouse gas guzzling sport. Um, So keep at it, but certainly, certainly, you know, stay tuned and prepare for more heat and think about how to modify the game to make sure that you know, people don't die or get you know irreversible you know health problems long-term lingering health problems because they've had a, um, a major heat illness and the simple most simple thing is um stay cool listen to your body and drink 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 <laughs> yeah that's probably a good place to leave it very good advice there um as we've seen from the IPCC report and just from our own eyes, climate change is um, an all-encompassing issue affecting, like I said, our whole reality. And it can feel sort of overwhelming trying to think about it all. So I'm just going to say this has been very good for me in helping to process and just get a bit of a handle on some of the questions uh, that are raised by, by such a big topic. Dr. Liz Hanna, thanks a lot for joining us on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Absolute pleasure. Um, and stay well. And um, On behalf of the team at Emerging Cricket, thanks for tuning in. And remember that you can, of course, subscribe in the usual audio apps for regular podcasts, keeping you up to date with news from all over the world of Emerging Cricket. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for loads more great content. Bye for now.